I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. According to WhatsApp, Bill Gates is microchipping the world through the rollout of vaccines, 5G networks are the cause behind coronavirus, and most A&E wards remain empty, and anyway the virus has been exaggerated to achieve more nefarious political ends. We're also told that vitamin D will make us immune, and masks are the very first step to authoritarian world government. Over the past few months, you and I have been subject to a barrage of conflicting claims on the pandemic and its causes. Some within the Muslim community also argue that vaccines are haram because they contain impurities. Others suggest seeking such remedies questions your reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and undermines the whole concept of tawakkul. As you know, the thinking Muslim was set up to understand matters in greater detail. For a Muslim is above all someone that uses his mind and acts according to acquired knowledge and expertise. Over the coming two programmes, I want to explore these claims in some detail. Today, I invite back onto the show Ustad Iyad Hilal from California's Al-Arqam Institute. Ustad Iyad has expertise in usul al-fiqh and has recently led a stimulating and accessible online usul al-fiqh course. I ask him to untangle the issues of vaccines, medicines in general, and we discuss how a Muslim should arrive at judgments and our responsibilities to not fall prey to theories not grounded in reality. Inshallah, next week I speak to Dr. Hisham Abdullah, a specialist in vaccines. If you have any questions you would like me to raise with him, please send us a message through thinkingmuslim.com or via the contact points in the description of the program. Brother Iyad Hilal, welcome back to The Thinking Muslim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Thank you for inviting me to talk uh, again in this Thinking Muslim uh, podcast. Jazakumullah khairan. 
Well, Stadi Yad, I've invited you onto the show really to talk about the pandemic and and, uh, the Muslim community's response to the pandemic because I suppose like the wider community, uh, there have been what some would call conspiracy theories that have um, spread around the Muslim community. I mean, I receive messages all the time uh, expressing a view about the pandemic, which goes against uh, what is the orthodoxy, I suppose. And um, uh, recently, of course, because of the rollout of the vaccines, there have been uh, a lot of discussions about whether these vaccines are indeed halal. And uh, some Muslims have uh, have forcefully pushed a narrative that uh, these vaccines are indeed uh, unacceptable from an Islamic perspective. Now, of course, prior to the show, you and I were discussing and, and we concluded that really the first question that needs to be asked here is, uh, what is the Islamic perspective? Because, of course, a Muslim thinks according to uh, the viewpoint of Islam. So let me ask you that question. What does Islam say about vaccines and medicines? What is the hukum shari'i here? Yes, thank you. This is the most important question, actually. This will serve as the cornerstone in the entire discussion. And when you look at medication or medical treatment or medicine, I'm linking it to two aspects. One aspect, where does it fit seeking medical treatment or offering medical treatment or viewing medical treatment? Where does it fit within the mission that God entrusted us with humanity in this earth? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us in more than one ayah in Al-Quran al-Kareem that he will place a khalifa on the earth. وَإِذْ قَالَ رَبُّكَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ إِنِّي جَاعَنُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ خَلِيفَةِ Now some people translated khalifa to be vice-gerent, but actually God has no vice-gerent. No one replaces God in the earth at all. So khalifa here had been translated to mean successors. Successors in the sense of that the human being later on will be living this life in the earth in such a way that generation will succeed the other. But another ayah also, Allah subhanahu ta'ala says, And he is the one who made you successors of the earth, who will take care of the earth. Another ayah, In the earth. So we are the successors on the earth and in the earth. Meaning this earth, the universe, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted, he, he created the universe. He created the heavens, he created the earth, he created everything. And he created the human beings. And he told the angels that he will place those people in the earth to carry the responsibility of uh, taking care of the earth. This is the responsibility placed on the human beings. It's not placed on the malaika because the malaika have different mission or missions. It's not placed on the jinn. It's placed on the human beings. The human beings carry the responsibility of of taking care of the earth. And they will be living in such a way that generation after generation will succeed each other and one another. I can't imagine that human beings who will be entrusted with this mission, that they will be asked to stay away from medical treatment because by de facto, their life will have its ups and downs. 
as we noticed later on. Human being is not living for eternity. We are not uh, eternal beings. We are living certain life. We have our bodies function in certain way as we see. So there will be ups and downs in the way our body functions. I can't imagine that Allah will tell us, live your life, take care of the earth, but don't seek any medical treatment. Just leave it as it goes. Because it will defy, if we live that lifestyle, it will defy the purpose behind which uh, we are, for which we are living. From this point, there must be the medical treatment. And this applies to so, so, uh, some other aspects. In, in the social aspect, as an example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us males and females to take together the responsibility. Male and female are going to build special relationship that will lead to the reproduction, to the, to the mankind to stay in the earth. To serve this purpose, you cannot change this relationship from man-woman relationship to man-man relationship or woman-woman relationship. It will defy the purpose behind the whole creation was. We are created Dakar and Untha, male and female, so that we will live together our private life. Each two will live their private life so that human race will, be, will survive. We need to look at these things from this perspective. The, the, what is the mission of the human being in, in, from living in this earth? So medical treatment fits that mission. Neglecting medical treatment defies that mission. Now, the other point, furthermore, when we want to talk about the hukum shari'i in seeking medical treatment, there is debate. Some people said it's uh, permissible. Some people said it's mandub. Some people said it is haram. It is makruh. Why they say it is makruh? They say because it goes against the concept of tawakkul. How can you change something that is going uh, against the tawakkul? And to answer them, will tell them what Umar ibn Khattab told Abu Ubaidah, two great companions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi When uh, they get into a town where there was a plague, Ta'un uh, Umwas, Umar ibn Khattab wants to go back and Abu Ubaidah, he told him, are you running away from Qadr Allah, Umar? He told him, yes, I'm running away from one Qadr to another Qadr. <laughs> so when we seek medical treatment, we are not running away from the tawakkul or from Qadr Allah. We are just shifting from one qadr to another qadr. We are, we are within the sphere of qadrullah azza wa jal. We are not objecting it. Furthermore, there, there are some hadith from the Prophet Sallallahu I found them very interesting hadith. One hadith as an example uh, reported, I think Al-Bukhari himself and Ibn Majah. Ibn Majah also reported it in the book of medicine. That it says that uh, Usama bin Shuraik said, I saw the Bedouins asking the Prophet وسلم, is there any harm in such and such? Is there any harm in such and such? And the Prophet وسلم, used to tell them, O oh, slaves of Allah, ya ibad Allah, Allah has only made harm in that which transgressors of, un of the honor of one's another. The harm is when you transgress the other, one another, the, the honor of one another. The harm is this transgression, hmm. the honor of each other. And then 
that is what is sinful. Then they said to him, oh, messenger of Allah, this is the point which we need to refer to, to the medication. If we don't seek treatment, is there any sin in this? And here comes the answer of the Prophet Seek treatment. Seek treatment, all slaves of Allah. For Allah does not create any disease, but he also creates with it the cure, except the old age. So all diseases have treatments, have, have medication, except the aging. Now it is the challenge on us to start searching to find out what is the treatment for this uh, disease or what's the treatment for that disease. This is the medical research, what is all about. Having medical research to, to find out what is the best treatment for this or for that. And certain symptoms, certain side effects. But in general, they'll tell you this medication is in that case. In this case, you need this type of antibiotic. If in that case, you need that type of antibiotic, as an example. So this is within this rule. This is part of Allah Sunnah. Allah created this universe in such a way that will be infected, will get sick, but also he, set, he stated certain qualities in, the, in, in objects in the universe. And you go and research. Go and do your research, discover the bacteria, discover the penicillin, discover this medication so that you will treat those diseases. So this hadith orders us to look for medical treatment. Another hadith I found very interesting. It was used a few days ago. And I, I honestly speaking, I didn't know about this hadith until someone sent me a link. So I found out the, uh, this, this hadith in which Ibn Majah also said, Abu Dawood and Ibn Majah reported that Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, whoever gives medical treatment man with no prior knowledge of medicine, من غير علم ولم يعلم منه طب قبل ذلك, he started giving medical treatment with no prior knowledge of this. He is responsible for any harm will be done. So it, just, it doesn't just tell you about the medical treatment, it tells you how to give the medical treatment. If you want to give medical treatment, you have to do it based on knowledge. Now the knowledge varies different ages, different times. Now, the medical knowledge requires from us to go and study medicine, go to medical school, get the, the license from the bar for, or, or from the association, medical association where, where you live. And if you don't do so, Rasulullah told us, you will carry the damage, if there is the damage done, which is nowadays, if you practice medicine without license, you will be liable. And Rasulullah told us, if you practice medicine without knowledge, you are liable. But just to clarify the point, so what is the hukum shari regarding uh, seeking medical treatment? Is it, in your perspective, from your perspective, a recommendation uh, or otherwise? Medical treatment is part of our life. At times, it can be permissible. And if a person is getting in stage, uh, in cancer stage five, as an example, the latest uh, stages of the cancer. They don't have to take, uh, as an example, chemotherapy. Right. It will not uh, make any difference. It's up to them. If they want to take it, you can't prevent them. But you cannot tell them, no, no, it's haram. Versus if uh, we got into a car accident and a person went into coma, 
Mm. You have to provide this person with medical treatment. If you don't, you are killing him or her. So it depends on the situation. I have a headache. It's up to me if I want to take Tylenol or Panadol or, or just go and drink water or just have a, a rest. That's so the hukum sharia at times it is a fard to do it. And at times it is uh, up to the individual. That's at the level, level of the individual. But at the level of the community, there must be medical treatment offered to people, medical facilities. You cannot say since it is permissible, well, it's also permissible to, to offer it. No, it's not permissible to offer it. It's a must to offer it. The Islamic governance must offer it. Cannot let people do it on their own because it will affect the, the, the community at large. If the, imagine a, 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 a town that has no hospitals or that has no doctors, what will happen to them? So at the level of the ummah at large, it is a must. It is mandatory. It is part of uh, the requirements to sustain the life in that community. For the individuals, okay, you are offering them the access and it's up to them, except in certain situations where it is a must to offer like what the example of we said, the car crash. Well, Saad, we, we live in a, a period of coronavirus and um, mm. there's a lot of discussions uh, on the internet and, and in our communities about the virus and about its potency and about how we should deal with the virus. And it's surprising that you still see and hear many Muslims uh, who are very skeptical uh, towards coronavirus and um, towards uh, the medicines that, uh, that are proposed and the vaccines now that are uh, proposed as a solution to uh, the problem. Now, before we get into the specifics about the vaccines and what our responsibilities towards deciphering whether these vaccines are correct or not, um, many Islamic scholars or many Islamic activists have also weighed into this discussion. And uh, I read, for example, a, uh, a scholarly uh, journal from uh, South Africa, and uh, the scholar was uh, discussing uh, the issue of quarantine and uh, social distancing in prayer. And he was adamant that this is haram and it's a bidah and, and you know, Muslims should not obey uh, this type of, uh, of innovation in, in deen. So how do we how do we approach uh, this type of attitude within that prevails? I think within uh, some some parts of our community. Subhanallah, Subhanallah, Subhanallah. Maybe this person is living in different reality. Honestly speaking, I don't know him, but uh, uh, there was an article uh, published in the Newsweek under the title "Can the Power of Prayer." alone stop the pandemic like the coronavirus, even the Prophet Muhammad thought otherwise. So it says that uh, that was in the Newsweek in uh, March 17, this year, by Craig Considen. Mm. He said ex ex experts like immunologists, Dr. Anthony Fauci and medical reporter Sanji Gupta are saying that good hygiene and quarantining or the practice of isolating from others in the hope of preventing the spread of uh, these contagious diseases are the most effective tools to contain the COVID-19. Do you know 
That's the article says, who else suggested good hygiene and quarantining during a pandemic? He answers Muhammad, the prophet of Islam over 1300 years ago. While he is by no means a traditional expert on matters of deadly diseases, the article says, uh, Prophet Muhammad nonetheless have sound advice to prevent and combat a development of the COVID-19. Muhammad said, if you hear of an outbreak of plague in a land, don't enter it. But if the plague outbreaks on a place where you are in, don't leave it. This is the quarantine. I don't know what does the brother refer to when he says it's haram. Well, what about social distancing? So we don't have a hadith which tells us that uh, we can separate in the prayer, for example. How, okay. how would you respond yeah, to inshallah, that? Yeah, inshallah, I will, I will get into that. But hmm. the concept of, of quarantine or quarantining people, it's there. It, hmm. It's not bid'ah. I don't know how does he define bid'ah. Bid'ah, the way I understand, it's not anything that didn't exist, exist in the days of Muhammad Sallallahu Otherwise, the papers he is using to write in his thoughts didn't exist during the life of Muhammad Sallallahu mm. The microphone he uses in his speech didn't exist in the life of Muhammad Sallallahu So bid'ah is not anything new in general way. It is something new when you introduce something related to our ibadah, forms of ibadah, that has uh, evidence in the sharia. And then go, you go against that form. The Adhan came in certain form, the Salah came in a certain form, as an example. To change that, to suggest to add a new Ruku' or to suggest to add a new Rak'at al-Fajr or to eliminate the second suju, the second uh, uh, sitting in the four Rak'ahs prayer, any, any change in the setup of, of the prayer itself is bid'ah. To suggest that we shouldn't fast Ramadan, based on the coming of Ramadan, let's take one year as a standard year. Ramadan came in June, so let's shift uh, fasting from the first of Ramadan to the first of June every year. This is bid'ah. Uh, we are instead in this area, we cannot pray Jum'ah, so let's shift it to Sunday. Yes, this is bid'ah. But to say that there is a disease in this land, let's not enter, enter into that land. This is what the Hadith says. And this is why when Umar ibn Khattab, Allahumma arda'an, decided not to get into that land because of a plague, Abu Ubaidah, Allahumma arda'an, when he objected, you know, Umar ibn Khattab, actually before giving him this answer, I'm running away from one qadr to another qadr, he told him, Law ya Aba Ubaidah. I wish that someone else said this statement, mm. oh Abu Ubaidah. He even couldn't imagine that a companion lived with the Prophet would think in this way, that if I'm leaving this land, I'm running away from Qadrullah. He told him, yes, I'm running from one Qadr to another Qadr. So the quarantine is a must. It's not volunteer, it's a must. The, the Islamic governance must impose it. And if there is no Islamic governance now, which there is no, so we as a community, we need to know that if we don't quarantine, we are spreading the, the disease. And if I'm spreading the disease, if I get uh, infected with the disease and I cause the infection to go to the others and the others die, you know, I am uh, li uh, liable for this, for his death. Not first degree murder, 
but I'm liable for the, for the, the death of that person. Okay, Jazakallah Khair, that's about quarantine. But what about Salah? What about uh, social distancing in Salah then? Regarding the Salah, Rasulullah in the Hadith said, Straight up the lines, straightening up the lines is from the extra iqama for the salah. Tamam. Tamam means to make it in a better way. It's like the hadith of the Prophet when he said, Salatul Jama'a, Afdal min Salatul Fard, Tafdul Salatul Fard, The salah of the congregation is much better than the salah of the individual in 27 times, which means that the, the Salatul Fard is fine, but Salatul Jama'ah is better. So he is comparing, he's not comparing between something Fard and something Haram. He's comparing between two things acceptable, but this one is highly and more acceptable than the other, more, more worth of reward than the other. So in other words, you're saying it's mandub, it's rewardable to have the lines uh, close together. Having the, the lines straight and close to each other is highly acceptable and more recommended than praying within certain distance. But tamam salah means that if we may keep distance between us, it is okay, but better than that to, to stay with, close to each other. Now, when to use this, when to use that, again, this issue comes another rule that we are not allowed to do anything that will hurt the others. Rasulullah is telling us, if you eat garlic, raw garlic and onion, don't come to the masjid. What about if I have corona and insist on standing shoulder to shoulder with my next to the other person? I don't know how do some people look to the texts. We need to look to the texts in a more comprehensive way and then reach to an idea. So it is okay to pray with, within a distance. I will go further and say, Till now, it's Salatul Jum'ah is not a must. Depends on the, where you live. If you are living in an area where there's no pandemic, that's fine. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. But if you are living in an area, in a town, in, in a district where till now the disease is spreading, there is no Salatul Jum'ah. Pray at home. Don't go. Don't go outside. So the, the, the hadith, which is used, actually uses the term Tamam Salah. Tamam Salah from the perfection of the Salah. So it will be more perfect if you pray next to each other. So there seems to be a really close relationship between expertise and those who study the Quran and Sunnah and are able to uh, derive hukam from the text. Can you please outline what is the relationship then between a faqih or a, a scholar and an expert and how should that relationship be managed? And is there a, a blueprint given by the Sharia or given by uh, Islamic scholars of the past as to how that relationship should coexist? You know, and Hukum Shari'i has two aspects. One aspect is how to understand the address addressing us from the lawgiver, Khitab al-Shari'i. But the other aspect of the Hukum Shari'i is that it is the address of the lawgiver related to our actions. And related to our actions, we need to understand our actions. Actions at times look, look very similar, yet they have different rules. As an example, you have the difference between marriage and mutual agreement between two couples to live together. Looks the same. You know, here, there is a commitment here, there is a commitment there. Yet, 
this form of living, just our own commitment to live with each other does not constitute marriage at all. It's just mutual commitment. We need to go through the, the formula of the marriage, ijab and kabul, with two witnesses, with dowry, with at times even to the most scholars to have the wali, waliyun nikah, so that to make this is different than that. Now we have two different issues, look similar, but they have two different rules. In usul fiqh and in the fiqh, there is what is called al-manat. Al-manat is to understand the issue or the reality that we think that the hukum shara is related to. Otherwise, we'll start connecting the hukum shara with unrelated realities. You know, in the past, when there were people before having these new phones, they used to have in every town a central. And the central used to work manually. So when you receive a call from this person telling you, I want to be uh, calling this person, you cannot uh, have direct call to that person. You have to call the central so that they will connect you to, they'll have the jack pulled from you and connected with him manually. Imagine a person a drunk and any fall he receives, he connects them, him, them randomly in, any other, in another, another receiver. What will happen? So you have to connect the call to the right receiver, recipient, hmm. right? So that the call will go through. We have to connect the khitab al-shari' with the right issue, with the right item. So we need to understand the item. And this is what our scholars said that we, you need at times to ask the ex expert to identify the item because at times it looks uh, very much similar. But if you investigate it more, it will show you the difference. I will give you a, an example of this, which mm. maybe we'll get through again in, in our uh, discussion today. What's the difference between wine and vinegar? You know, vinegar is alcohol, or originally speaking, alcohol, and wine also has alcohol. But it went through certain process that when it converted to be vinegar, it is permitted to consume. It's not permitted to consume it while it is a uh, hammer or alcohol, but now it is permitted when you use, when it turned to be vinegar. Now, how to differentiate between those two, you know, at times you need a chemist to tell you, to run a, chem a chemical analysis to see whether which is wine, which is vinegar. Hmm. He'll tell you, this is al uh, alcohol, so then it's haram. We connected the hukum sarai to it the wiring, or this is vinegar. We connected another wire to it, which is the hukum shara'i. So different ahkam shara'iyya uh, and are related to different waqa'a, different issues. And the connection, the wiring must be proper. Otherwise, if we connected from point A to point Z, while it should be to point D, where the connection is wrong. Understanding the hukum shara'i will be wrong and applying it is wrong. Now, how to understand the reality? We need the experts. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in this case, he said, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Ask people who have the knowledge if you don't know. And the, the subject matter of the ayah, yes, it was related to an issue related to the aqidah, but uh, it is general. It's not just ask people of the book about the messengers that we sent before you. Why? Because it says Ahl al-Dhikr. Ahl al-Dhikr, uh, uh, the way it is cons constructed, 
it's it came in general hmm. so ahl dhikr of any dhikr either the book or any knowledge so you ask them in order to know so we need to have both working together if i don't know i need to ask so i cannot just say i just look at the salah without understanding without understanding the ramification of this you know but even th- th- those who say this let them just look at the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in which he told us if a person eats raw garlic or raw onion you know it gives certain fragrance don't come into the uh, into the musalla because it will hurt the others what about if i am i'm 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 getting covid i shouldn't come i mean of course i'm i'm not here to pass judgment on scholars but um Uh, it is the case that many scholars today they make judgments without first uh, resorting to that level of understanding of a reality or understanding of expertise uh, of a reality for example the issues surrounding covid and and they make decisions by just referring to the text now does the maxim that we know of in usul al-fiqh that if a scholar uh, derives a hukum uh, but makes a mistake he gets one reward and if he uh, hits the target if he if he's correct he gets two rewards D- would that apply to a scholar who fails to just appreciate the very basics of a reality would those reward categories apply to him i will not get into the issue of the reward hmm. and the lack of this is to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right you know i will ask all uh, we need to understand our limitation in no way we should think that we can act on behalf of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until which person will be rewarded to which person will not be rewarded which mm-hmm. person will be rewarded once it depends on the situation of the person and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the best and he is the one who will be rewarded but i will talk about how to make sure that the process is much better another part falls under the shoulder of this person who gave this opinion or fatwa if this person give gave that opinion give himself or herself the right to give an opinion they must give the audience the right to ask him how did you get to this view what's your evidence how did you extract from this evidence that opinion which you related to this situation why didn't you look at that situation and the questionnaire doesn't have to be expert at times uh, a general person have general uh, knowledge of of these things can ask these questions and the other person the one who gave this uh, view shouldn't take it personal shouldn't be upset you know shouldn't object these questions should encourage these questions because at the end we need to reach the to the most correct view the most profound answer so that's what i would uh, talk about not the reward so if, if he is not welcoming the questions then with all of due respect to him i'm not going to take his view at all no matter how beautiful the presentation was no matter how the argument was presented no matter how much qualifications or certificates he has that's not the concern the concern is the process itself is it valid process or not is it subject also for questions or not everyone's person imam malik said yani imam malik teaching all 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 people throughout the generations till now he is saying 
When it comes to people, you can accept and reject from the statements of everyone. Everyone's statements are subject for scrutiny. Illa except Sahibu had al Qabr, and he will point to, to the grave of Muhammad except the one who is laid down in that grave. You cannot uh, put his statements under scrutiny as long as it is said, as long as it is authentic. So you, you scrutinize the authenticity. Once you say that it is yes, said by him, that's it, khalas. We need to, to, to realize this. So to make sure that the process is sound and we are always, we are always, uh, let me say, proceeding in a progressive way, moving from one state to yet another better state. But, but how would you uh, tackle a, a scholar who's, who says, for example, that, or, or misunderstands the issue of asymptomatic transmission? So we know that around a third of all coronavirus cases are asymptomatic. So the person will not show any symptoms, but yet may uh, be able to transmit a disease. Um, yeah. but, but, but a scholar insists that um, uh, the, the most you can do is take a temperature of someone at the at the door of the masjid, and as long as his temperature is is normal, you should admit him, admit him into the masjid, and he okay. should be allowed to pray the salah as normal, uh, okay. shoulder to shoulder with his brothers. This person is denying uh, one of the one of the key uh, the key facets of the coronavirus reality. Um, could you argue that his uh, his hukum shari, his his judgment is flawed, and thus should be rejected? Okay, I will ask him, why are you asking this, uh, the temperature for the temperature to be taken to this person? What's your basis? Why did you, on what basis did you take the high temperature as a signal telling you prevent this person from entering the facility? Where did it come in the hadith that says if a person has fever, don't get him into the masjid? He will tell you, yeah, this is what the doctor says. Great, this is what the doctor says. Take what the full prescription of the doctor. He didn't just say this. You know, the doctor, usually the experts, the medical professionals, will not talk just about the temperature. The temperature is one indicator. So when you go to a doctor, they will ask you, and I, I go to uh, for medical appointments, and upon, upon the entrance, there is a screening. They take your temperature. They will ask you certain questions, and then they will admit you. Now, there can be people who are abusing it. Uh, there can be people who are lying. Yani the other day, you know, the passenger who died in, 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 in the United Airlines uh, flight, he was screened, no temperature, and he was asked about it. He knows that he has the uh, COVID, and he died in the flight, and now they are investigating it. What went wrong? Why didn't we figure, uh, find out before he was admitted into, into the flight? But I'm talking in general. In general, people don't lie. Those who lie are exception. The doctors are telling you, take these procedures of screening if you want to conduct the salah there. And they, they tell you also conduct the salah in out space, not indoor. And I attended some funeral prayers. They do it in out space with six feet separating each other uh, in, in the rows, you know, because in, 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 the, in the closed space, the, the, the possibility for spreading this, if anyone came, you know, with it, you know, 
with this uh, symptoms, it will be higher than if we stay, you know, in open area. These are the recommendations of the doctors. We need to, to, to take all of them in consideration. But you know, Ustad, that many of the scientists and doctors, they disagree on a number of issues or they're not so conclusive about some issues. I mean, how would you then approach uh, that indecision? Medical research, in most cases, is based on the best of the knowledge of people. So they will tell you the statistics in general or the qualities of this virus or the high risk of spreading it tell us that those procedures should be taken. And that's it, their decision, their view should be taken. Yes, it is very hard, very harm, uh, harmful to the, to the economy, but now this is the price which we are paying because of this, uh, of the mishandling the disease in, in the first place. We could have uh, cut it into half the, the, and uh, get rid of it six months ago had the world took tough procedures and very strong procedures against the spread of it. But we, the procedures were very lenient and it's left to some places here and there, some in, you know, in the in, in, in US, you know, some states refused even to talk to people about masks. Till now they are saying the president doesn't have the right to impose uh, putting a mask. Why? It's against our freedom. You know, but why do you go uh, when you drive, you put the, the, safe, the, the seat belt? If you don't put it, the damage will be just for you, not for the passenger next to you who is having the seat belt. But if you don't put the mask, the damage will go to the others. It's more needed to have the, the, the medical mask for the, in the case of the spread of Corona or any other disease. Even if you have flu and you want to go outside, you should have the mask. So what's your advice for someone who refuses to accept these public health uh, advice and uh, they refuse to wear masks and they refuse to cooperate uh, in, um, in stemming the transmission of this virus? So I don't know how do some people ignore this fact. Oh, hundreds of doctors died because of this everywhere. Hundreds of nurses, of medical staff died because of this. And yet we are narrow-minded and think that, no, 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 it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not okay to undermine this disease. So let's talk about vaccines. Now, we've established a framework, and that framework is that uh, a, a scholar needs to understand the text comprehensively, but also needs to connect with experts so that the reality is clearly understood so that they can um, they can link uh, the yes. and connect the the uh, evidences to the, the specific reality of the problem they face. Uh, now, vaccines have become a very vexed issue in in the wider community. I think you said in America, but in America there is a there's a there's a growing concern uh, against vaccines, a growing movement against vaccines all across America and even here in Europe, but also within the Muslim communities. And um, uh, there are some scholars who have come out and given fatawa to, to suggest that vaccines are haram and are not acceptable. And some cite, uh, some cite evidences that these vaccines um, possess impurities. They may have alcohol in them or, okay. or other forms of, of uh, impurities. I mean, again, from an Islamic perspective, how do we view uh, vaccines that carry these impurities? Okay, first of all, let me exclude those who say it is haram because it is against Qadr. Oh, you should have tawakkul and that's it. Let me exclude this from the discussion. 
الإمام أبو حيان in his great book التفسير البحر المحيط when he talks about some آيات في سورة البقرة ومن الناس ما يقول ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة the previous ayah says ومنهم من يقول آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وما لهم في الآخرة من خلاق you will find some people who will say oh God give us حسنة in this dunya only and they will have no share in the hereafter and another people will say oh God give us in this dunya حسنة and in the hereafter حسنة so we have those two, two types of people. Some people will just focus on this dunya only. They don't care about the akhirah. And other people who will talk about both, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give them in both this life and the hereafter. Abu Hayyan, in his book, Al-Bahr al-Muhiyyat, he said this ayah gives us, divides people into those two categories. The first category makes dua in the wrong way. They don't care about the akhirah. And the second category makes dua in the right way, giving, making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to provide for them in both lives. He says there is another category who say it's haram to make dua. Because if you make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as if you are not accepting his qadr, you are objecting your share. You cannot object your share. Don't make dua. Accept whatever comes. And he says this is absurd. It's not worth to, to, to be looked at. So if someone is telling us that vaccine goes against our Iman, I'm not going to waste my time in, discuss in discussing with him this issue. We already said that medication is part of our mission in this life. And vaccine is part of the medical process. Now, are we? I, I will talk about those who say that it has impurities. Yes, we need to, 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 to discuss with them. Based on what? They'll bring us the hadith, actually, of the Prophet وسلم, reported by Abu Dawood. Very much similar to the first report, but there, there is a slight addition to this. That Allah sent down both the disease and the cure. And he has appointed a cure for every disease. So treat yourselves. Of course, medically. But don't use anything unlawful. So they'll tell you this hadith tells us it's, we are not allowed to seek medical treatment with uh, haram thing. So if it has impurity, it can be, some people say it from the fat of the pork or some material from aborted fetuses or anything of this. So they'll tell you this is haram, thus it is haram to take that vaccine. They will not tell you it's haram to take any vaccine, but rather that specific vaccine. So they are they accept the concept of the vaccination. They are objecting certain vaccine because of certain ingredients. Alhamdulillah, now some vaccines don't have this. As an example, Pfizer vaccine doesn't have this. They issued a statement about this. But let's say that it has. I will talk about some other vaccines that they say it has. This moves us to another fiqhi topic. Is it permissible to seek medical treatment using haram item or unlawful or impure item or haram item? Here we have certain evidences. As an example, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam allowed Abdurrahman ibn Awf to put on pure silk. 
Now, pure silk is not allowed for people. Because of an, an allergy, looks like he had an allergy. So Allah Rasulullah permitted him to wear pure silk. We know that pure silk is halal for ladies, haram for men. Yet Rasulullah allowed him to do so. This is one hadith. Second hadith, we know again, it's not allowed for men to use gold, to wear on gold uh, items. You can have silver, but not uh, gold. Women are allowed. There is a hadith says that a person said that my nose got hurt in the jahiliya. So I took, quote unquote, nose from, from silver. So it became even more, case became more complicated. He became Muslim. He came to the Prophet So he told him, uh, take, uh, use gold to replace that part of your nose so that you seek medical treatment by using gold. It applies to this also. At times they used, uh, the dentists uh, would use uh, gold for, their, for the, the teeth at certain times. So these two hadiths are allowing us to use these impure, impure things, haram things. What about the hadith which Abu Dawood reported? Here comes again usul al-fiqh. We have a maxim says, Consider all evidences, enact all evidences instead of taking one and ignoring the other. So the hadith of Abu Dawood, don't seek medical treatment in haram, it's at the most it tells you it is disliked. It's not haram. Seeking medical treatment with these materials, at the best it tells you it is disliked. That's one point. The second point is that we have the darura. The darura, the necessity for medical treatment allows you to do so. Uh, as an example, and I was reading some uh, Hanafi uh, books like Tabiyan al-Haqaiq, al-Daqaiq. It tells you that if a person, if a doctor, as an example, asks a person to have huqna, Hukna, at that time, at certain times, they will give a syringe in certain part of the human body, in the anal part of the body. You know, and he says, So if the doctor wants to give that syringe in that part, you look at it also. You'll see the aura. So it's, it's, it's allowed. Why? Because it's medical treatment. And he says, actually, uh, medical treatment does not conflict with the tawakkul. And he says, النهاية, he is quoting another Hanafi book called Al-Nihaya, Sharh Al-Hidaya. Those Hanafi brothers are familiar with these two books. Al-Hidaya Al-Marganani, a Hanafi uh, important book yes. uh, manual. And you have Al-Hidaya, a commentary on Al-Nihaya, a commentary on Al-Hidaya. Mm. So he says, وقال في النهاية, يجوز التداوب المحرم كالخمر والبول إذا أخبره طبيب مسلم أن فيه شفاء ولم يجد غيره من المباح ما يقوم مقامه. And it is permissible to seek medical treatment by uh, using خمر and even urine. If a Muslim doctor tells him to do so, that there is a treatment in it, if, uh, if, unless if he finds another alternative, another option. والحرمة ترتفع للضرورة. The prohibition will be uplifted for the, for the need, for the necessity. Thus, it is not here seeking medical treatment with haram. 
according to hadith Abu Dawood. So he is looking at both hadiths together, reconciling both hadiths. Third point, those who say it's haram, what do you say about general anesthesia? What do you say about sedation? You know, at times certain surgeries need general anesthesia. At certain medical procedures, like colonscopy or stomachoscopy, then you need sedation. What about this? They are using drugs. What about giving the patient morphine as a painkiller? temporarily for medical treatment. They'll tell you, yes, it is halal. On what basis? Those are the basis through which we say anesthesia is halal. Because without it, there will be no surgery. The person will be killed or sedation or local anesthesia and the, the very same logic. You know, we have the concept of istihala. The istihala is when a material changes to another material. If wine changes to uh, vinegar, wine is haram. You are not allowed to consume it. You are not allowed to carry it. You are not allowed to buy it, to sell it, and so on, so on, so as we know. Now, what about the vinegar? Rasulullah used to consume vinegar in many ahadith. That's one point. The second point, you cannot buy wine and manufacture it to be or change it to be vinegar. سُئِلَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَنِ الْخَمْرِ تُتَّخَذُ خَلًّا فَقَالَ لَا He was asked about uh, having made uh, wine to convert it to vinegar. He said no. And in one hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu was asked by, by, by a man, he, was, he had a vine, a, a grapevine uh, farm, and he told him, I'm making the khamr for the treatment. He told him no. But like Ibn Tamiyyah said, if wine converts to a vinegar, by either someone else or in the process. It went beyond that fermentation and it changed to, to vinegar, then you can use it. And as an example, I know some people are man, uh, preparing vinegar at home. They bring grapes, they put it in a jar, they close it tightly and put it in under the sunlight for around 40 days or a little bit more. Now, during this, if they open the jar, let me say at the day 20 or the day 25, it will be wine. You have to throw it again uh, away. You cannot close and keep it. To, actually, it will not change, even if you close it after that. But if you keep it continuously closed until after 40 days, it will pass that stage, which is fine. It was a grape, then vine, uh, wine, then vinegar. So now you take the rule of the outcome. The outcome is halal substance. So it is halal. This is what is called al-istihala. And it is very well known in the Islamic fiqh. Now, those, those ingredients, assuming that they are there in certain medication or certain vaccine, they don't exist in the current, in the outcome, in the product, in this vaccine or in this medication, they don't exist as it was before. There is chemical conversion, chemical change happened. So now you talk, look at the istihala process, at the outcome material. What is the outcome came from this? The outcome is this new material. This new material, you need evidence to say it's haram. Why? Because again, shari'i Everything is permissible unless if it is proven otherwise. So you don't need evidence 
to prove that, that the animation crab is halal. The animation crab is halal unless a few come with evidence saying it's haram. So you don't need evidence for the permissibility of the objects. Every object is permissible unless if it is proven haram. So where is, does it say that the new material is haram? So we need to engage in a, a discussion about this and we need to be open to listen to the other opinion. Let's not be dogmatic or fanatics getting into one view and that's it. I'm not willing to listen. I'm not willing to discuss. That's it. This is my opinion. So, so would the same apply to uh, general foods? For example, um, the additive gelatin, uh, which commonly Muslims accept to be uh, unacceptable and haram. Um, I mean, it, it's gone beyond a, a chemical process now, and it's now a colorless, flavorless food ingredient, which is, which uh, may have originated from a pig or, or from a from beef, which is hasn't been uh, killed in a halal way. But you know, the, the process has has changed the the end product. So, would you apply the same to gelatin? Okay, there is you know there is another qaida talks about uh, if there is something suspicious leave it to that thing which leaves no doubt in your heart right so and i'm not of the opinion that says in consuming these materials is permissible thus i'm, I'm of the opinion to stay away from it keeping in mind that the need for the vaccine is not like the need for certain food you have a biscuit that has a gelatin different than a medication if you take a capsule that misses certain antibiotics it has the, the 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 capsule is made of maybe gelatin you don't know what's the origin of gelatin but you are taking it now as medication you are not taking it as a food ingredient so i will not apply the same rule so so would that apply to even a, a medication that you're taking for for mubah, mubah reasons, for example, you, uh, I don't know, a vitamin. You know that it's um, it may help you in your in your health, but it's not prescribed by the doctor. But the the pill has a gelatin coating. Would it would it be permissible in your view to uh, to take that medication? Okay, as long as you are taking it as medication. Hmm. Well, you are, I'm, you are I'm, I'm, I'm not of the opinion. That says you just go and pick up any any vitamin and take it, right? And in my own experience, okay, before of taking anything, I will check with my doctor. You know, so I'm, I'm I have to take as an example. Some people have to take as an example omega three. The the capsules are, can be using gelatin from this animal or that animal. Hmm. This fits under medical treatment. But if I I'm anxious, I'm not anxious. I want to relax. I want to sleep. So I took coffee, coffee, coughing syrup that has alcohol. That's not allowed. That's haram. Right. You're not taking it as medical treatment. You are taking it just to relax or to sleep. And one final question, Ustad. Um, there is a, uh, in the Muslim community, actually generally in the wider community uh, today, we're awash with fake news. And um, uh, many people can't determine what is right and wrong anymore in terms of news and and in terms of theories that come their way. 
And um, this includes uh, issues that we've discussed today, issues to do with the vaccine and the virus and, and, and whether 5G networks have a part to play in the coronavirus and, and, and these types of conspiracy theories that, that um, many yeah. people may access. But, yeah. but on a very general level, um, we have come to a, a stage in human society where we can no longer uh, understand or no longer determine what is correct and what is incorrect. And so yes. large numbers of people follow, uh, follow a theory which, which very evidently just sounds ludicrous uh, in, its, in its basic formulation. Yes. Um, does Islam have a... Uh, and does does Islam co- uh, give us a, a way to to decipher uh, the correct from the incorrect? Oh, in general, there are certain principles telling us that we need to verify the news. If a, fasik, if a person comes to you with the news, verify it. It's not just related to that case, that in, in the social relationship. In this case, in, the, in this medical field, someone came and said that Pfizer has, uh, uh, let me say, aborted fetus uh, cells. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert to verify it. I will pick up the phone and I will ask an expert who, who will help me clarifying it. And Alhamdulillah, I mean, thanks, inshallah, I mean, that you will uh, also invite an expert on this issue. Yes. to ask uh, some technical issues. That's great. So, but if I don't know, let me ask. That's one point. The second point, you know, there are, I, I, I'm not going to take my views from WhatsApp messages. One example, a, a, a video circulated saying that Wuhan lab in China is owned by Pfizer and Pfizer is owned by another company from those uh, companies, <laughs> and so on. So the series is, is conspiracy to manufacture the disease, so that there is another conspiracy to manufacture the cure. All of it falls down by checking the first fact uh, claim. I'm not saying that you have to take each and every sing- single vaccine in the world. This is up to the doctor to decide with your kids which vaccine is needed. That's fine. Be selective, that's fine. Read, that's fine. But to come and give a general statement against vaccines per se, imagine how the world will be if you eliminate vaccination. You know, I will say, yes, well, it's your individual choice, but think about you exposing others if you get it, if you get the, vac- the, the virus. So it's don't look at just your individual your individualism. Look at the community also, and Islam balances between the rights of the individuals and the rights of the of the of the group of the community. It doesn't give focus on the on the individual at the expense of the community, nor it gives what you call it focus on the community, ignoring the individual. Hmm. Balance between both. Ustadi Yad Hilal, Jazakallah khair for your time today. Uh, my pleasure to be with you. And inshallah, I mean, I hope that uh, if there is any follow-up question, please you can contact me to follow up on this. Inshallah, ta'ala, we, we will do so. Jazakallah khair, inshallah.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.